Section seventy eight of Mark Twain, a biography. Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and eighty two. The Villa Viviani. The American claimant, published in May, eighteen ninety two, did not bring a very satisfactory return. For one thing, the book trade was light, and then the claimant was not up to his usual standard. It had been written under hard circumstances, and by a pen long out of practice. It had not paid, and its author must work all the harder on the new undertakings. The conditions at Nauheim seemed favorable, and they lingered there until well into September. To Mrs. Crane, who had returned to America, Clemens wrote on the 18th from Lucerne, in the midst of their travel to Italy. We remained in Nauheim a little too long. If we had left four or five days earlier, we should have made Florence in three days. Hard trip, because it was one of those trains that gets tired every seven minutes and stops to rest three-quarters of an hour. It took us three and a half hours to get there instead of the regulation two hours. We shall pull through to Milan tomorrow, if possible. Next day we shall start at 10 a.m. and try to make Bologna five hours. Next day Florence, D.V. Next year we will walk. Phelps came to Frankfurt, and we had some great times dinner at his hotel, and the Mason's supper at our inn, Livy not in it. She was merely allowed a glimpse, no more. Of course Phelps said she was merely pretending to be ill, was never looking so well and fine. A Paris journal has created a happy interest by inoculating one of its correspondents with cholera. A man said yesterday he wished to God they would inoculate all of them. Yes, the interest is quite general and strong, and much hope is felt. Livy says I have said enough bad things, and better send all our loves and shut up, which I do, and shut up. They lingered at Lucerne until Mrs. Clemens was rested and better able to continue the journey, arriving at last in Florence September 26th. They drove out to the Villa Viviani in the afternoon, and found everything in readiness for their reception, even to the dinner, which was prepared and on the table. Clemens in his notes speaks of this, and adds, It takes but a sentence to state that, but it makes an indolent person tired to think of the planning and work and trouble that lie concealed in it. Some further memoranda made at this time have that intimate interest which gives reality and charm. The contadino brought up their trunks from the station, and Clemens wrote, The contadino is middle-aged and like the rest of the peasants that is to say, brown, handsome, good-natured, courteous, and entirely independent without making 
any offensive show of it. He charged too much for the trunks, I was told. My informer explained that this was customary. September 27th. The rest of the trunks brought up this morning. He charged too much again, but I was told that this was also customary. It's all right, then. I do not wish to violate the customs. Hired Landau, horses and coachman. Terms, 480 francs a month, and a pourboire to the coachman. I to furnish lodging for the man and the horses, but nothing else. The Landau has seen better days, and weighs thirty tons. The horses are feeble, and object to the Landau. They stop and turn around every now and then, and examine it with surprise and suspicion. This causes delay, but it entertains the people along the road. They came out and stood around with their hands in their pockets and discussed the matter with each other. I was told that they said that a thirty-ton Landau was not the thing for horses like those. What they needed was a wheelbarrow. His description of the house pictures it as exactly today as it did then, for it has not changed in these twenty years, nor greatly, perhaps, in the centuries since it was built. It is a plain square building, like a box, and is painted light yellow and has green window shutters. It stands in a commanding position on the artificial terrace of liberal dimensions, which is walled around with masonry. From the walls the vineyards and olive orchards of the estate slant away toward the valley. There are several tall trees, stately stone pines, also fig trees and trees of breeds not familiar to me. Roses overflow the retaining walls, and the battered and mossy stone urn on the gate-posts, in pink and yellow cataracts, exactly as they do on the drop-curtains in the theatres. The house is a very fortress for strength. The main walls, all brick covered with plaster, are about three feet thick. I have several times tried to count the rooms of the house, but the irregularities baffle me. There seem to be twenty-eight. There are plenty of windows and worlds of sunlight. The floors are sleek and shiny and full of reflections, for each is a mirror in its way, softly imaging all objects after the subdued fashion of forest lakes. The curious feature of the house is the salon. This is a spacious and lofty vacuum which occupies the center of the house. All the rest of the house is built around it. 
it extends up through both stories and its roof projects some feet above the rest of the building the sense of its vastness strikes you the moment you step into it and cast your eyes around it and aloft there are divans distributed along its walls they make little or no show though their aggregate length is fifty-seven feet a piano in it is a lost object we have tried to reduce the sense of desert space and emptiness with tables and things but they have a defeated look and do not do any good whatever stands or moves under that soaring painted vault is belittled he describes the interior of this vast room they grew to love it dwelling upon the plaster relief portraits above its six doors florentine senators and judges ancient dwellers there and former owners of the estate the date of one of them is thirteen o five middle-aged then and a judge he could have known as a youth the very greatest italian artists and he could have walked and talked with dante and probably did the date of another is thirteen forty three he could have known boccaccio and spent his afternoons wandering in fiesole gazing down on plaque-reeking florence and listening to that man's improper tales and he probably did the date of another is fourteen sixty three he could have met columbus and he knew the magnificent lorenzo of course these are all ceritanis or ceritani twains as i may say for i have adopted myself into their family on account of its antiquity my origin having been heretofore too recent to suit me we are considering the details of viviani at some length for it was in this setting that he began and largely completed what was to be his most important work of this later time in some respects his most important of any time the personal recollections of joan of arc if the reader loves this book and he must love it if he has read it he will not begrudge the space here given to the scene of its inspiration the outdoor picture of viviani is of even more importance for he wrote oftener out of doors than elsewhere clemens added it to his notes several months later but it belongs here the situation of this villa is perfect it is three miles from florence on the side of a hill beyond some hill spurs is fiesole perched upon its steep terraces in the immediate foreground is the imposing mass of the ross castle its walls and turrets rich with the mellow weather stains of forgotten centuries in the distant plain lies florence pink and gray and brown with the ruddy huge dome of the cathedral dominating its center 
like a captive balloon, and flanked on the right by the smaller bulb of the Medici chapel, and on the left by the airy tower of the Palazzo Vecchio. All around the horizon is a billowy rim of lofty blue hills, snowed white with innumerable villas. After nine months of familiarity with this panorama, I still think, as I thought in the beginning, that this is the fairest picture on our planet, the most enchanting to look upon, the most satisfying to the eye and the spirit, to see the sun sink down, drowned in his pink and purple and golden floods, and overwhelm Florence with tides of color that make all the sharp lines dim and faint, and turn the solid city into a city of dreams, is a sight to stir the coldest nature, and make a sympathetic one drunk with ecstasy. The Clemens household at Florence consisted of Mr. and Mrs. Clemens, Susie, and Jean. Clara had soon returned to Berlin to attend Mrs. Willard's school and for piano instruction. Mrs. Clemens improved in the balmy autumn air of Florence and in the peaceful life of their well-ordered villa. In a memorandum on October 27th, Clemens wrote, The first month is finished. We are wanted now. This carefree life at a Florentine villa is an ideal existence. The weather is divine, the outside aspects lovely, the days and nights tranquil and reposeful, the seclusion from the world and its worries as satisfactory as a dream. Late in the afternoons friends come out from the city and drink tea in the open air and tell what is happening in the world. And when the great sun sinks down upon Florence, and the daily miracle begins, they hold their breath and look. It is not a time for talk. No wonder he could work in that environment. He finished Tom Sawyer Abroad, also a short story, the one million pound banknote, planned many years before discovered the literary mistake of the extraordinary twins, and began converting it into the worthier tale, Puddenhead Wilson, soon completed and on its way to America. With this work out of his hands, Clemens was ready for his great new undertaking. A seed sown by the wind more than forty years before was ready to bloom. He would write the story of Joan of Arc. End of chapter 182 the Villa Viviani, read by John Greenman.